This is Oklahoma football. Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez. I'm driving the train tonight. No Tyler. He got tickets to the Obama Fashion Show. But I am joined, as always, by Corbin. And we've got lots of Sooner Sports to talk about tonight. So, Corbin, how are we doing? Doing good. You know, sad to hear that Tyler is uh, out with the gout. That's what we're going with, I think. Uh, assuming him and Jim Traber posted up somewhere, you know, talking sports, not on this podcast. So, uh, no, in all seriousness, hope Tyler gets feeling better, but excited to chat some sports with you for a bit. Absolutely. And before we jump into all the spring sports updates, I do want to ask everyone that's listening, go on Apple Podcast. Give us a five-star review. You don't even have to write anything. Just tap five stars and submit. Uh, and with that, we'll jump in to what's going on with softball. Yeah. Uh, I mean, same song, different verse, right? Uh, another win this week against Wichita State. Uh, I don't know about you, Adam, but I was a little curious if, one, you had a little bit of a layoff since last time um, the girls played against Baylor, midweek game against number 25, Wichita State, uh, and then heading into this weekend versus number nine and number six, Oklahoma State and Stillwater. I was curious if this would kind of be a – a sleepwalk game, maybe a little rusty, maybe we're overlooking the shockers uh, to the pokes. That wasn't the case whatsoever. A 14 to three win uh, game called in the fifth inning with a run rule. So I think that's the the 30th run rule of the year for the ladies. Uh, and uh, out of 41 games, that that's pretty impressive. So, uh, but yeah, huge matchup this weekend in Stillwater. Uh, Oklahoma State is ranked number six in one poll, number nine in another. Obviously, OU's got the number one ranking, both those, but Adam, should we expect what we saw against Texas a couple weeks back where it was three run rules, series over, lights out, or do you expect this to be a battle? Man, you'd really like to think that we could go out and do that. But being in Stillwater, being that Oklahoma State is pretty highly ranked, I I don't know that we'll run rule them in three straight games. At this point, I'm almost a little nervous that we play so many five-inning games that once we get into some really tough series, especially in the postseason – that are we going to have the stamina and the repetition built up to you know, last for a full seven innings because we just don't play that many seven-inning games at all. Yeah, well, hopefully we just run rule the whole you know, Women's College World Series tournament. We never have to figure that out. But, uh, but no, I actually think you know, Patty, what Patty does with her team, I think is very similar to like thinking back to uh, like Baker's years. Like I think they take great pride in playing on the road and keeping like a home stadium pretty quiet. Uh, and I, I don't think Patty likes Oklahoma State whatsoever. So I have no doubt the team is going to be ready to play, uh, you know, just to, to what extent and how many home runs we looking at over the weekend, I think are the only questions now. So I'm excited. I know that it kicks off, I think, six central time on Friday night. Uh, I think that first game will, will tell us a lot about how that series is going to go. But uh, for the first time in a while, going to toss it back to you because – we have exciting baseball news to cover. I know you've been longing for this for quite some time. So fill us in on what's been happening with OU baseball. <laughs> baseball. I mean, I guess softball took the weekend off. They did not have any <laughs> games and they transferred all their powers to the baseball team because they were pretty incredible uh, for the first two games, at least in Bedlam against Oklahoma state, absolutely just destroying them uh, at the plate there. And I don't know why it happened. I can't really put my, much explanation behind it. Um, even on Sunday in the loss, it was a close game. 
So I don't know where this OU baseball team has been, uh, but uh, after Sunday, I guess they immediately reverted their powers back to the softball team because Tuesday night we absolutely got walloped by Texas Tech and Amarillo. So they are who we thought they are, I guess. So um, it's baseball. I mean, the season's winding down. There's no chance of the postseason. We've been saying that for weeks. Uh, But a team that does have some big postseason expectations and, you know, Tyler, if he was here, uh, he's actually at the bodybuilding uh, competition right now. He's probably actually getting oiled up as we speak, uh, which is why he's not here this evening. But I know he's pumped because the golf team is headed to Albuquerque. Uh, They are the top seed. Uh, Pretty much, I I don't know if you could call them the favorite just because golf is such a a different sport than pretty much any any other, but uh, they are the number one team going into the postseason play there. So uh, hopefully they can uh, can get a big uh, big weekend out there in Albuquerque and uh, and get us to the championship rounds there. Yeah, I mean, last time we saw men's golf, they lost by a stroke in the Big 12 championship to, uh, to Oklahoma State and uh, outgained, you know, or outplayed Texas by a stroke to kind of that figure out that second spot. I would expect those three are heavily in the mix um, come, you know, NCAA championship time. So it's not crazy to think that uh, we could be playing that back here in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. And uh, probably one of the biggest sports at least that's top of mind for everyone right now, probably a little bit unusually something that is on the back burner that us as OU fans don't like to think about until at least January 1st is basketball right now. But Porter Moser has come in and has really injected a lot of life and energy from the fan base around this upcoming year. And I think a lot of it probably has to do with the transfer portal and guys being able to move around much more freely. And, uh, you know, top of mind for all of us is Bryce Thompson I have no clue who the favorite is right now. I mean, how can you even forecast something like where he's going to go to school? You know, when he first hit the portal uh, leaving Kansas, all the talk was was TU. He was going to go to Tulsa. He was going to go be the guy, have the green light on every possession just to shoot the rock. And then it started to shift more towards Oklahoma State. Uh, maybe TU ruffled some feathers along the way. Oklahoma State kind of took the lead. And then all of a sudden, like, don't count out OU just yet. Um, so I think the longer this goes, the better opportunity it is for Porter Moser and the OU staff to continue that relationship with the Thompson family, which I think is very important. Um, but I don't know when he's going to make his decision. I don't. I mean, I have no idea if it's going to be the Golden Hurricane up in Tulsa, Oklahoma State, or, or OU, or maybe you know goes wild and picks somebody like Arkansas. You know, it's still relatively close to the hometown, but. Um, it, it had, a, had a feeling that like Bryce was kind of like this, this, this drama queen a little bit throughout this process, but I, I really don't think that's the case. I think he's just, he's just trying to make the right decision because when he chose Kansas out of, out of high school, clearly that didn't work. So I think it's just a kid just trying to take his time, making the, the right call, but your guess is as good as mine at where he ends up. Help me understand, uh, because I don't really get why Tulsa is, is on his radar. I understand that they'll give him the reins and, he can basically run the offense, do whatever he wants. But you'd have to look at that. Maybe maybe he's not looking at it this way, but I look at it and think, okay, lesser competition, smaller stage. Who knows if they'll make the tournament. I, as far as getting in front of scouts and impressing them for the NBA draft, which seems to be his goal, should be every player's goal, it seems like that is a big step back. Yeah, I, I, I see your point. I, I'd love to go back and 
maybe do a little more research on the NBA draft and figure out where all these guys are coming from. Uh, obviously, outside of like the NBA lottery, everything after that is just a complete crapshoot as far as who's going to make it in the league, who's not. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it kind of almost has that that Damian Harmon feel to it when he came to OU. It was supposed to be a one-and-done deal. He was going to run the offense, kind of like that the, the Trey Young type of offense that we had, and he was going to fill up the stat sheet and he was going to leave. I think in the NBA you can do that anywhere. I think, yes, it helps playing for – uh, a big time school or blue blood or, um, you know, in a, in a big time conference. But I think we're, we're probably past that. And you're seeing it on, on in the NFL stage a little bit too. It's not just the blue bloods are getting all the picks, top picks. Sure. Possibly maybe. But um, for the most part, I really do think uh, for where college basketball is at this current moment. Yeah. I think he could go to Tulsa, fill up the stat sheet, have plenty of scouts, you know, still around to, you know, take him at a, at a high pick. So I, I think that's still a very likely deal and I, I wouldn't blame him for doing it. Another guy that also wanted to have that Trey young type of role is Trey Alexander. Mm-hmm. If Porter Moser's not giving the green light on Bryce Thompson to come do that here in Norman, he's surely not doing the same thing for Trey Alexander. So yep. do you think that that becomes maybe a roadblock for bringing him to campus? If we strike out on Thompson? It's possible. And I think one thing you got to look back on Porter's career, he's, he's never had a guy like that. It's been team, 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 team. So I would be curious if he gets one of these two guys, like how does he manage that on the court playing time, the freedom of the offense? That'll be really interesting to see. But I haven't heard Trey's name as much as of late as we did a few weeks ago. Um, so I am curious, but I think Trey's probably the, the third on the pecking order. All right now, as far as transfers go, I think the Robinson kid out of A&M is probably still, you know, in that second spot, but it sounds like that's kind of simmered down. But from some of the things on the message boards, things like that, it looks like, you know, there should be some good news by the end of the week, which is tomorrow. Uh, so we'll, we'll figure out pretty quick if, uh, if those rumors are true, that there should be some good news, but I don't know where it's coming from. I think early on, OU was probably not the favorite for Bryce Thompson, but the longer the process goes on, I think that bodes more in our favor but at the same time i don't want it to be a situation where all of our eggs are in one basket we've got burned already once by bryce thompson in that scenario uh damian collins the big man from texas he ended up at uh, kentucky and we had all our eggs in his basket too uh, so i'd hate to get to a situation where thompson chooses tulsa and then we lose out on alexander robinson maybe goes with oregon and then I, I don't know. We're looking at a really lower level guy, no knock on uh, Mo Gibson, but probably something of that caliber. And, and that's a solid role player, but not the difference maker that we probably need here in Norman. And it may not be the worst thing that that scholarship stays open. Maybe give it to, you know, walk on for the year uh, and save that scholarship for, for next season, give Porter a full year to go after a guy he really wants with an extra scholarship. It, it may be worth the risk there at that point. Yeah. Well, one of the the bigger news items, the for sure uh, people that we know that's going to influence this program is David Patrick, who just came from Arkansas to join the staff. Uh, what's what's the profile and what are the things that the OU fans should know about him? Yeah, I had to do a little bit of research myself. Uh, I didn't know a ton about him heading into the hire and after it was officially announced. So to give a, a little background, pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, if you look at his resume, the schools he's worked with. So uh, thanks, Wikipedia, for this. Uh, started off at St. Mary's as an assistant. 
uh, switched over to LSU as assistant down in Fort Worth to TCU, uh, did take the head coaching job at UC Riverside. Uh, and I found this very interesting. So he was there for a year. Uh, they won 17 games in the 2019-2020 season. That's tied for most in Division One history for that school, which is wild. That seems very successful. And then he left. And he went to go be Arkansas assistant coach. So I don't know what happened there. I'd love to dig in a little bit more and see if it was like, is that a mutual parting ways? Is an Arkansas assistant job better than a UC Riverside head coaching job? I'm sure you can make an argument for both sides there. Um, but, you know, those are pretty successful programs. Obviously, Arkansas went, what, to the Elite Eight last year, Sweet 16? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, under under uh, Musburger, uh, not Musburger, Musselman out at uh, out at Arkansas, so he's he has a track record of being under with some great programs. He seems to have a great relationship with Porter Mosier. Uh, so gotta like you know that's the final piece that came down, and Porter's got a staff all put together now, so we can see what he can really do. Yeah, you gotta like all the different pieces that he's put together, and uh, just I mean the the first thing that anyone brings up when they're talking about anyone on on the assistant bench there is the recruiting, which I absolutely love and not to, um, knock on, on Lon Kruger, but this staff is going to be much, much better. I don't want to say quite yet elite. I want to see some results first, but I'd like to think that we can be the type of staff that is getting some pretty high level four stars and every once in a while, a five-star to campus uh, here in Norman. And I think that's going to make a huge difference in, the quality of basketball and, you know, the, just the, the ceiling of where this teams could go uh, here in the future. And, uh, and part of that uh, bringing David Patrick to campus is his connections to Australia, to international players as well. And uh, it looks like he's probably bringing a player with him that was committed to Arkansas. I'm going to say his name. I'm going to butcher it. Uh, <laughs> Akol Maywin. I can't even say it, but Yep. <laughs> I crushed it. Um, he's a six, nine power forward. Uh, he was committed to, uh, David Patrick, both at UC Riverside and at Arkansas. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I know much about his game, but I love the idea of getting a big man to campus. Yeah. Excited to see, um, one, if this will come true, we don't exactly know that he's, he's headed to Norman quite yet. Um, but based on, you know, back-to-back -back commitments of following Patrick, you would assume he's going to follow him to Norman. And based on how Mosier's dealt with the two scholarships, it makes sense now that this could potentially be, he, he's one of them. Um, so yeah, don't know a ton about the kid, six, nine power forward. So obviously he's got some pretty good size, which three weeks ago, we were very concerned about the size of this OU basketball team moving forward. Now, all of a sudden you feel pretty good uh, about uh, the front court in particular. Um, so yeah, excited to see. I, I've been told, you know, if, if OU is anonymous, it sounds like Texas Tech potentially is could be really excited about them. So uh, I, I would say at this point, as far as those program rankings, they're, they're pretty similar. Maybe even give Tech an edge for the better program right now based on their more recent success. So if Tech's excited about them, I, I can find a way to be excited about them. Yeah. Now it, we're getting to a point where I think initially when Long Kruger retired, we all thought, okay, great. This is going to be a re rebuilding job. It's going to take a few years for whoever the new coach is to get this roster in shape. We saw so many guys exit, go to other programs, go to the NBA, and then come back to college. <laughs> we had multiple guys do that. And now the roster has really come together quite a bit. How close would you say we are to having 
a better roster than we did last year. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's better. I think it's more well-rounded at this point, at least hypothetically, we have yet to see this team play. I don't even know if they have practiced as a team at this point. So there's tons of question marks, but at least on paper, it looks like a more well-rounded team. I don't, as much as we had some issues with his end of game shots, I don't see a guy like we had last year in Austin Reeves who can go and take over a game. I don't see it on the roster yet. A guy could emerge. That's highly possible. We could find that go-to guy in many of the, the transfers that have moved in. But at this point, that guy is not there. I like to have a guy like that, not necessarily like on a Trey Young level where he's going to dominate the ball every single possession, but a guy who actually can just go and, and, and control a game on the offensive side of the ball. So uh, we'll see on that front. Can this team be um, as uh, explosive? Maybe that's a poor choice of words, but explosive on the offensive side of the ball. But I have no doubt on the defensive side of the ball, they will be better. Yeah, I, I kind of think Elijah Harkless is going to be the guy that runs most of the offense and maybe even potentially is has the ball in his hands for the last shot of the game. I know you, you've got Tanner Groves there, who's probably going to be probably going to be your leading scorer. But I just I just like Elijah Harkless and what he can do when the pressure is on, and um, I think he's he wants that opportunity. So like what he can do there. And I think overall, just the excitement level that we've seen from the fan base for this team, regardless of whether they make the sweet 16 or, or have any type of success in the postseason, uh, this upcoming season, I just, I'm really impressed that it's basically stayed top of mind so much for OU fans. What has it been three, three weeks, four weeks, maybe since Porter Moser was hired I, I just, the energy level is through the roof. We'll see if it translates when the season actually rolls around because football will be in full swing. But I think people are, are pretty pumped and that's exciting to me. Yeah. You know, going back to what you mentioned a, a second ago when Porter was, was hired, we thought it was a perfect storm in like all the wrong ways, right? Like he's coming in, the transfer portal is just absolutely bananas right now. We're losing guys left and right. Now you look in three, four weeks later, and it's all worked to our advantage so far on paper, of course. Like we have to see this team play, compete. You know, are they as good as we think they can be? But, you know, anytime you have like this significant amount of change, there's going to be excitement. Um, and only time will tell if it's actually going to, you know, maintain that excitement let's be realistic once january comes around uh you know because november december still football season so um but yeah i think there's a lot of optimism uh and i think porter just kind of holds himself with energy in general and so that's 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 showing i think it's the fan base is catching on to it so far yeah another area that ou fans are really excited about is spencer radler and after the draft of course everyone's got their way too early 2022 mock drafts and he's been number one if not top five in every single one of those mm -hmm. and i almost feel like ou fans are probably uh, more critical of spencer than some of the national guys who maybe didn't see every single second of him but do you think that the hype is warranted based off of what he's already shown on the field i have mixed emotions on it i think um if you watch what he did towards the end of last season and you add that to Lincoln Riley's quarterback pedigree, there should be no reason that Spencer doesn't have a breakout year and he's either the top quarterback or the number one overall pick in next year's NFL draft. No reason. But if we are basing it just on what we've seen from Spencer so far, it's not there for me yet. He would not be, at, at today, 
on May 6th, 2021, he is not my first quarterback off the board based on what I've seen so far. Who, who, who do you like more? Probably Sam Howe right now, or potentially um, Keenan Slovis out at USC. Yeah. yeah. Just, there's just a little bit more there to him. And let's be honest, I still, as much as things have changed, body type in the NFL still matters. And Spencer's pretty small. Um, so that's something you got to keep in mind too. So I, I have no doubt that Spencer can make that jump over the next, you know, nine, 10 months. Uh, it's just, will he? Will he eliminate those really, really bad mistakes um, that he had last year? And if he can, you should see him in New York. You should see us in the college football playoff and he should be the first quarterback off the board in next year's NFL draft. Yeah. I think with Spencer Radler, I, you look at his game, he's got some similarities to a Zach Wilson. He's got some similarities to a Patrick Mahomes. And so people are going to see him make some crazy plays every once in a while and compare him there. And I think the hype is going to just continue, uh, you know, as, as GMs want to get that next Patrick Mahomes, or even if Zach Wilson has any type of success this year, they'll want to get the next Zach Wilson. So Guys like Keaton Slovis and Sam Howell have another year of, of evidence of play on the field to more solidify their status. And Spencer Radler, he just had his first spring practice, which is kind of crazy to think about. And most guys are going to have their jump in year two. It's been probably, what, four months since we did an entire podcast focused on on Spencer Radler. But his stats, if you account for having a full 12-game season basically matched up with Baker Mayfield's 2015 season. And we saw the leap that he made from 15 to 16. You could maybe even make an argument 2016 was Baker's best year. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault you too much if that was your argument. So I think Spencer Rattler could certainly make a huge jump coming into 2021. And we all expect him to do that. I, I would say though, if you're going to like look at the, the jump Baker made. And so that, so you're saying the, um, you're compare. You're hoping this year is the same jump that Baker made heading into 2017, correct? Well, I'm just saying from if we say Spencer's 2020 year was Baker's 2015 year, this is his 2062nd season on campus, which was by all accounts like the best season until the 2017 season came around. The best season, yep. you know, efficiency wise yep. from a college quarterback. I will say one thing I think is very important to recognize there, though, is is what Baker had around him is not the same as what Spencer has around him right now. Um, based on what we've seen, hopefully that changes. Hopefully guys step up specific with the running back role and the receiver role. But right now, those two positions, as far as skill sets, aren't even close to comparing each other. Um, so I think that does give a huge advantage to to Baker's jump. Hopefully we see something similar from, from Spencer, but you, you got to give credit for what was around Baker at that time too. Yeah, for sure. And I think Tyler would be remiss if we didn't mention Seth McGowan and Trajan Bridges no longer being on the team. Uh, Tyler would be here tonight to discuss it, but he's stuck at a red light on Highway 9. And uh, and so there is, I mean, we got Mike Woods, so you feel a little bit better receiver. Maybe you'd like one more guy, but I think this, I think OU can afford to be more selective there. Uh, we've heard that term come from the coaches as far as we're not just throwing scholarships to just a body to be available. But I think, I think that's a position where you probably can be a little more selective running back feels a little bit more desperate though. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I, I want to buy into Mike Woods, but I, I think by now everybody who's listening to the pod knows I typically like to see things before I'm like fully bought in. So time will tell about Mike Woods. I think he's got all the potential in the world to potentially even be the number one guy. 
you know, an OU's offense, but we'll see. Running back, yeah, I think you you have to go find another talented body. Um, it doesn't even have to necessarily be like an RB1 talent. This could be a, a second or third string guy, but you're going to have to have another guy who can contribute because if Gray or um, Major or Kennedy Brooks goes down with any type of injury, even if it's for a game, that backfield gets very, very, very thin. And I don't necessarily trust what we're doing so far with Mikey Henderson in that role. I don't like it. Um, I guess he is that body. So if you, you the, I think the goal now would be go find somebody that fits the role better than Mikey Henderson, and it's a win. That's how I would approach it. And I think, too, Mikey Henderson has so much more value from the H-back role. Yes. So when you put him in the running back position, it takes away from that position, too. So I do think that you want another body. I'm not sure what the profile of that looks like. Juco football seems a little strange and unusual this year. I don't know if you can count on that. High school's pretty much done. So you're looking at the transfer portal, and there are some guys in there right now. I even saw the other day Eric Gilbert, the tight end. He's just living in the portal as of right now. <laughs> so the, I think that's going to occur in some cases. But, I mean, what is the profile of – of someone that we would even target in a transfer portal situation. You would have to think he would need to be a bigger back, right? I mean, you've got Brooks isn't a big guy. Major is probably the biggest guy. If you take out like Henderson and he's third string and I don't think Eric Gray is a big guy. So if you could, I mean, this sounds like we can just go find one, but if you can go find another Ramondre Stevenson in the, in the Juco rankings, like you did a few years ago, that's perfect scenario. But I don't think that man is out there at this very moment. So, uh, so yeah, I have no idea. I don't, I, you know, perfectly honest. I don't follow the Juco football a whole lot. Um, you want to ask me about, you know, the, uh, the Netflix documentary, I, I can speak on that, but that's the level of my extent of Juco football. So I'm not exactly sure who's out there and what the options are. Marcus Major is 5'11", 220 pounds. It is a little bit on the bigger side. Sure. I kind of wonder if we just categorized him as that because he's a little slower, though. <laughs> That's um, fair. Yeah, so he kind of gets the the bruiser type of category. Uh, I know one guy that, that OU fans are talking about right now is Kevontre uh, Bradford uh, from LSU, and he was a freshman this past season. Didn't. I couldn't find any stats, so I don't believe he he played at all. He is a four-star recruit, uh, top 150 type of guy from the Dallas area, may have some OU connections in the family. He did recently have uh, kind of a run-in with a shoplifting situation at Walmart this past December, even though there's some speculation that maybe he wasn't at fault, it was a misunderstanding, not really a, a big deal. I guess you could still look at it and go, well, you're replacing Seth McGowan with another guy that had an incident with the law. Let's not know how that those two scenarios. Those are very I, different scenarios. I, I, I completely agree with you, but random person in California, random person in New York, they're not going to look at that and look at the details. They're just going to be like, Maybe. really owe you? Maybe. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I think it depends on if there, if, is there a track record there? Because we do know Seth and Trajan, both had a track record leading up to this event. Uh, whether you agree with the, what those events and what they were considered wrong or for, that's a different story. But they both had a track record leading up to like what that happened. Is there with, with how do you say his name, Kevontre? I think so, yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. Uh, I have no idea. No idea. But the opportunity to pull another 
running back from the the Dallas area or Texas area, getting into a school like the Lancaster is is important. Um, so I think there's there's multiple reasons why this should be of interest. He's not officially in the portal yet, um, but it sounds like maybe as of tomorrow he'll have uh, made a decision one way or the other. For sure, and I think really this all just kind of shines a light on the fact that the running back recruiting under Jay Bulware was just so awful. I mean, we went from Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon was, I think, on campus when he was coach. And then we went through a pretty long run of basically just piecing guys together. I, I, I guess you'd have to say Kennedy Brooks is the best running back he recruited. Uh, I would disagree because you're missing a gap in there of um, Trey Sermon and uh, Rodney Anderson. Rodney Anderson's not a guy that he recruited it because he had, okay. he had been here a long time. Did he did he recruit Trey Sermon? But he also drove Trey Sermon away, so it kind of like cancels out, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he, he, I, even if he, yeah, you're right. Even if he did recruit him, he he won us Trey Sermon, and then he lost us Trey Sermon. Uh, and Trey could have been huge for us last year. Um, sure. So yeah, Jay Bulware, there's, there's, as far as I understand, he has not found a new job after he's been let go from Texas. Uh, and there, it sounds like that's probably a reason for it. Um, but no, I think, I mean, running back for the past few seasons now has just kind of been a question mark of like that elite talent. Um, you're hoping all of this, uh, COVID restrictions on recruiting visits and things like that continue to ease up. And so DeMarco actually has a chance to get out and, and get in front of some of these kids. But until then you just kind of wonder what the solution is there. Yeah. And I do kind of want to transition over to talking about the NFL draft and it does relate a lot to recruiting, maybe not as much at the running back position. Cause those guys are not valued nearly as highly, but it feels like an annual tradition after the draft. Every single year we look at the big 12 and go, why didn't we have more draft picks? And some of that, I think you look at the gap between the big 12 and the other conferences, and you do have to take into account only 10 teams. So really a more accurate way to look at it is how many draft picks per team. Even then it's still low. Texas carries a lot to blame there because they're not putting guys in the league. And I think OU had a year where, you know, a lot of guys are coming back looking at what's going to happen on the field this year, but What's the solution to make the Big 12 more respectable here? I don't know of many, uh, to be honest. Even I think when the name, image, and liking stuff gets passed, and it's going to happen eventually, look at where these these colleges are located. Um, maybe you see a bump up there as far as like TCU's prominence, right? Like private school in the DFW area, they've got some money to spend. Obviously, UT is going to have money to spend, but UT recruiting has never been the issue. It's been after they get on campus. Um, and no, I, I for all the, the backlash the Big 12 got over the past couple weeks of having like zero first round picks, no one said like it's OU's fault. No one. OU's carried the weight in this for the past decade and they've been just fine. And to credit like Andy Staples, <laughs> OU has so many people coming back next year, like you expect them to kick ass. Like that's, that's because we didn't have that many draft picks. So for me the most logical solution in place is for Texas to figure it the heck out. Because if they can do that, and if Texas can get back to a, a prominent national, national stage, as much as I hate to admit it, it makes the conference better from top to bottom. Well, maybe not bottom. I don't think Kansas is going to get better because Texas is better. But everybody else, that 
that mat that matters. Having an uh, another school with a prominent blue blood name in a conference that's actually on a national stage, competing for playoffs, competing for championship, that matters. And if you can have us and Texas both competing on that that um, that playing field, I think that is the only way things start to change. Because clearly, as big of a brand as we have and as solid as we have been, that can't be it because it's not working. Yeah, I think you touched on a really key point there is the fact that, you know, where we are in the country, everyone's pulling from Texas. That's where all the population is. So that's why you see your TCU, your OU, OSU, all putting multiple guys into the NFL. Texas should be. Uh, Baylor can do that in in several good years. Uh, But then you look at other states like your your Kansas, Kansas State, even with K-State having good success on the field, that doesn't necessarily translate to guys in the league. Um, Iowa State is interesting because Iowa's putting quite a few guys in the league. And I think I think that's possible an area where the Big 12 can grow quite a bit is Iowa State becoming more of a regular name in the top 25 especially if Kirk Ferentz ever retires, maybe in 30 years, he will. (laughs) But um, I think there's some room to grow there and to pick away from some bigger populated states like your Wisconsin, Illinois, Minnesota. But um, there was actually a really good article, and we'll talk about it a little bit next week. We wanted to wait for for Tyler uh, from The Athletic, but um, Tyler would be here. Uh, He's at the free Joe Exotic rally in Winniewood, so we wish him well there. But... (laughs) Um, in the athletic today, there was an article uh, about college football playoff. And one of the first questions was, you know, which, which conference is your favorite team in? And just looking at those stats, I think it tell, told a really good story about, you know, the population base because the big 12 was below the sec, below the big 10, uh, just slightly above the ACC, which I think probably has more to do with the, you know, the sport that each of those conferences follow, but definitely shows that we have less players and less population to work with. I am curious to get your thoughts on this because I'm very interested when, when the NLI stuff starts to go live and these smaller schools, I think you're going to go one or two directions. So for, in my opinion, when, when name image and likeness starts to happen and it comes to free for all for who can pay these players more coming out of high school, that hurts an Iowa state. It may help a TCU. And so I'm very curious to see how some of these things, well, because you just, you have to look at the market and the market in Dallas is very different than the market in Ames. So I'm curious to see like how much that, um, you know, kind of pushes the scale one way or the other on these, these teams. Like you look at Iowa state right now, they're, they're crushing it. Like they've got back to back years now where they're probably going to be ranked in the top 10, top 15 by end of the year. Um, a lot of excitement up in Ames about what Matt Campbell's doing. Does a change with the NLI, NLI actually hurt that program instead of helping it kind of continue to grow? See, I kind of look at it the opposite. I don't think that TCU players will get, you know, advertising deals because of the DFW market being big because TCU is basically a non-player in that market. They're, they're way too small. I look at it more of how big is the alumni base and how rich are they? So in that case, TCU looks good with the rich aspect, but they are a little bit smaller. Whereas with Iowa State, someone like a, a Brock Purdy might be the biggest influencer that the Des Moines market could get for you know a local TV ad in that scenario. 
Uh, and there's, there's not as much division. You're either an Iowa or Iowa state fan, uh, if you're from Iowa. So there's more money concentrated into those two schools versus, uh, uh, Dallas Fort Worth. You've got all the Texas schools. You've got all the Oklahoma, all the big 12 schools represented. You've got tons of schools from around the country represented there. Uh, so it is a little bit split up. Um, that's so hard to say. I mean, we're all just speculating at this point. Yeah, I, see, I took I, I agree with you 100%. I just took it a little bit different. When it comes to fan base and the wealth of it, this is where things are going to get sketchy. Um, because a rich TCU donor who just happens to own a company, it's like, yeah, I'll pay X, Y, and Z athlete to come in and do this. And it's just ridiculous spend. Um, so I'm curious to see how all that's going to be regulated and stuff. But I would agree, right? Like, I bet a prominent player in TCU in a big market that's going to be watered down, it's probably going to make pretty similar to the top player in a names market getting the most out of anybody. So it may even out in the end, but yeah, I mean, talk about it. What's going to be a wild, wild West on, on some of this stuff. Once it goes live, it's, it's going to be pretty crazy, but um, we'll find out soon enough. I don't think we'll be waiting too much longer for that stuff to, uh, to go through. Yeah. And I think just in regards to, getting the actual draft picks. I think the easiest way to up that number is by adding two more teams. Ooh, interesting. The two Arizona schools, right? <laughs> no, I'm actually looking at, at two teams that would add nine total draft picks to our numbers that would bump us above the pac 12, uh, still would be 11 away from the ACC. But if we would have added Cincinnati and central Florida, that's nine draft picks. I mean, that's pretty solid for those schools. I, I, and you know, they're only going to add more draft picks when they join the conference because they'll be able to recruit at higher levels. We don't need to get into all that today, but I, it's one way to do it. I'll fight. I'll fight with that. Uh, I'll fight with you on that another day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's move on to the, the final segment of the evening, which is place your bets. Uh, Corbin, let us in on how this is going to go. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to see how we, we run this. So basically, we're going to go through about five different options. And the uh, entire thought process here is if if you're a betting man, which option are you putting all your chips in towards? Uh, so we're going to roll with the first one here. So uh, the two options, OU defense ranks in the top 15 at the end of next season, or OU defense has more than 23 turnovers on the year. And for reference, just to help everybody out there, at the end of last season, OU had 19 turnovers. So, Adam, if you're betting on one of these, which way are you going? Well, I must have miscounted when I looked at the stats because I had 22. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, Controversy. They're both pretty close. I think with more games this year, I feel more confident in getting to the 23 mark uh, from a turnover perspective. I think with bigger receiver or bigger corners, bigger safeties, uh, more experience along the defensive line, just at every level of defense there. I think that this team could really just be incredible at getting turnovers uh, this season. I think it does come together for Alex Grinch in that manner. I don't discount the thought that they could be a top 15 defense. And I don't think it's as hard as what people say. The narrative is still out there from when, Every Big 12 offense was crazy, had incredible quarterbacks. That's not necessarily the case anymore. I mean, Brock Purdy is solid. Doesn't scare me that he's going to throw for 400 yards against us. Yeah. Um, there's not much 
other talent like that in the league. That's why a guy like Spencer Sanders can be one of the best returning quarterbacks going into this year. Top as we all, sure. At least, at least top five for <laughs> sure. Uh, and it's because there aren't as many good guys as there used to be in the league. So yeah. I think it's very possible that we can be top 15. Yeah. Um, I, I would lean with yet yeah, on the turnover side. That's where I'd put my money. Um, I think that's, that's more likely. And I'm not quite, quite as bullish on, top 15 being easy just because if you're going by just like total yards allowed or whatever metric you want to go off of for a top 15 defense, there's going to be those really, um, those really good defenses for the small conferences they're in. And they're going to control those top rankings because they're just heads and tails above everybody else in the conference. So that's what makes, I think, reaching that top 15 a little more difficult. Um, I think the good news to help that, though, is like a conference like the SEC is no longer as defensive dominant as they used to be. Like they're putting up points almost like the Big 12 used to years ago. Um, So, yeah, I would still lean towards the turnover if I was a, a betting person on this. Um, so I do think uh, reaching that top 15 is a little more difficult than um, than, than than the other way around. So, all right. Uh, second one. Uh, speaking of Spencer Rattler, we did a little bit ago. Uh, Spencer Rattler to win the Heisman next season or OU to win a college football playoff game next season? I think I'm going to take recent history and Lincoln's success with getting Heisman winners here uh, simply because I have no idea who OU might play in the playoff. Sure. I would like to think that OU goes undefeated and gets a Notre Dame, Michigan State, Washington type of opponent that is much more beatable than playing SEC runner-up or Big Ten runner-up or something like that. Um, but I just don't know. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, Spencer to win the Heisman. Uh, I'm with you on that as well. Um, I actually do think, and there's another one coming up that I feel the same way about, some of these, go, I think, go hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, one's probably not going to happen without the other. Now, schedule timing and things like that, obviously we, we won't know that. But, yeah, I think you got to lean more towards the recent history. Uh, and I, I think Spencer has a breakout year. Uh, the Lincoln Riley effect when it comes to putting people in New York that carries. Um, and so, and, and honestly, his name, that is a, a, a fun name to have on a Heisman trophy. Um, and so I think that matters. So yeah, I would, I'm with you there. I hate that we've agreed on two for two so far. Um, but moving on to the next one, we may disagree on this one. Uh, OU men's basketball next season to reach the sweet 16 or to not make the tournament at all. I'm going to have to go with not reach the tournament at I all. <laughs> I mean, and I, it's not necessarily what I think will happen, but sweet 16, I, I'm not, I'm not sold on this team being a top 16 team uh, in the, uh, in the nation right now. I don't even think that changes for me. If Bryce Thompson comes on board, you know, he's an absolutely high level recruit. He didn't do a whole lot at Kansas. I don't know if that was coaching or if that was on him. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think it's more likely that we miss the tournament. Yeah. I'm this, I knew this where we were going to disagree. I would lean more towards reaching the sweet 16 and not making the tournament at all. And the reason I feel that way, because I think this is probably a middle of the pack big 12 team. I don't think it has the ceiling of last year's team getting into the top 10, but I think they'll be pretty consistently ranked throughout the year. And I think again, if you listen to the podcast leading up to March, it's all about matchups. If you have a good regular season, your matchups are tend to be, you know, much more favorable. Obviously, you'll never know until you, you know, figure that out when the selection committee announces all that. 
but I think it'll be a more consistent team next year, which should lead to a better NCAA tournament uh, seed, which should lead to better matchups. And so I think it's more likely there that they get to the Sweet 16. So glad we have at least one that uh, we're going to disagree on. Um, next one, OU has three first-round draft picks in next year's NFL draft where OU wins the national championship next season. You'd like to think that if we win the national championship, that probably elevates a lot of guys' stock into the first round. So if that happens, probably both happen. Yeah. But looking at the first round, you got Spencer Radler. If things go as planned, that should be a pretty safe bet first rounder. Perrion Winfrey, I think, is a pretty safe first rounder if he continues the trajectory. Stays out of trouble. Stays out of trouble. Yep. Uh, and then after that, is it Nick Benito? I don't think he has measurables. Wanye Morris, uh, he's no, not, not a ton of hype on him just from an NFL perspective right now. I mean, maybe a Caleb Kelly if he has an absolutely crazy year and just, uh, but even that, there's injury concerns. I, I guess I'm not really sure where that third pick comes from. So it, it is very hard to win a national championship, but I think that's where I'm going to have to lean just on this specific bet. Yeah, um, I'm going to go more towards the three first-round picks. Um, and that's really hard to do. Don't tell Alabama that. But to everybody else, that's really hard to do. But I think that I, I think you're spot on. I, I think Spencer is a first-round pick, even if it's not the first quarterback. He's going to be a first-round pick if he has a decent season. Um, Perron Winfrey, just the body type alone. I don't think you can pass on a guy like that. Uh, and then you're right. Then it becomes weird. Does, does somebody take a chance on a Nick Benito if he has a breakout season, you know, as an edge rusher? I think there's a spot for him in the NFL where I'm not quite sure yet. But then I, I would I would almost reverse it and say, take a guy like a David Aguebu, who's not necessarily as productive as Nick Benito, but has all the measurables you could ever want uh, in a linebacker. Um, so, yeah, super interested to see who that third person could be. But I do think along with with Aguebu, the, the people you mentioned, they're all possible all possible um and so knowing how hard it is to win a national championship again don't tell alabama that i would lean more towards the the three first round picks um just because we haven't done it in 20 years and i don't think this is the it's the best defense we've had in a while but i don't think it's the best offense we've had in a while um so yeah i would probably lean more towards the individuals over the team on that one um last one spencer rattler to be the number one overall pick in next year's NFL draft or an OU defensive player being drafted in the top 10 next year. This is, this is tough because the really only option I have here is Perry on Winfrey. Mm -hmm. And he certainly looks like the type that could go top 10. He's going to have to have a crazy year for that. I think it's going to be much easier for Spencer Rattler to go number one overall, especially with the way Grinch rotates guys, especially early in the year. So I'm not sure Winfrey's going to have decent enough stats. And especially at that position, he's not expected to have a ton of sacks. He's really more of a disruptor, eating up double teams and things like that. So I think the safer bet here is Spencer Rattler to be number one. I would agree. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that's that's got to be, you compare – you just evaluate what Lincoln's done with quarterbacks over the past few years. That's that's the safer choice, um, hands down. I We would all love for not only Spencer to be number one, but a guy like Perrion Winfrey to be in the top 10 of the draft. That would do wonders for recruiting and for the state of the Big 12. It would help us out a lot. 
Um, but it's very similar to Spencer last year. Perion was a bit inconsistent. And he had really high moments. And you're like, that's a dude. And then there's times you just disappear. So um, I, I hope he has a breakout year. Again, we all want that. But yeah, if I'm a betting man, I'm putting all my money towards Rattler being the number one overall pick. I think that's that's a safe bet there. So we'll wrap up there for this evening. Uh, we're looking forward to getting Tyler back next week. He is actually acting as a translator for the Prime Minister of Panama this evening. But uh, next week, we'll have some more good stuff to talk about, all things Sooner Sports. So appreciate everyone listening. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at the Mainline Pod one And uh, we will see all of you next week.